Hello and welcome back to Cast Me to Hell with me, Robbie. Unfortunately, Seb can't be with us today as he is lost at sea, drawn in by the siren's song and along with his crew has become lost amongst the rocks. Love is in the air at Cast Me to Hell HQ and what better way to celebrate Valentine's Day than by heading over to West Germany and to dip our toes in some extreme horror with Jörg Buttingeritz's Necromantic from 1988. But before we get into the film, I would like to send a message directly to you. Yes, you, the listener. What better way to show your love for the show than by hitting the subscribe button and leaving us a lovely review. It really does help the show grow and helps to motivate us even further. Necromantic is a 1988 West German horror exploitation film with elements of splatter, black comedy and softcore pornography. It's a strange film about a cleaner who finds a body and brings it back to his girlfriend as a sexual plaything. The film opens up with a polite note of warning regarding extreme content, including graphic content, controversy and legal dispute, as well as discussing that they are as intense and vivid as they are culturally and cinematically significant, and I have to agree. Obviously, we're a horror movie podcast, and horror movies are filled with kills, gross subjects, and often push taboos, but this is our first foray into extreme horror. And with that, I just wanted to give a warning that the film is very uncomfortable in parts. Some of the things I'll be discussing today include necrophilia, suicide, rape, and even real animals being killed. So if at any point you want to stop listening, or if you want to skip the episode altogether, I won't hold it against you. The film opens with a woman pissing in the countryside. Yep, that's our opening, before she gets berated by her husband to get back in the car. They start arguing about directions and end up fatally crashing. The next day, Joe's street-cleaning agency, this vaguely authoritarian-ran clean-up crew, arrive to clean up the scene of the crash. I don't know why a cleaning agency would have a skull and crossbones for their logo, but they do. The woman is sliced in half and the driver's eye is popping out. They put them into body bags and take them away. We then see another character pissing, and this is Bruno, the senior member of the cleanup crew, and he goes to complain to Joe about one of the cleanup crew who is underperforming. Our central character is Rob. Please don't confuse the two of us, this is not a biographical film about me. And we see him go back to some residential area after his shift. The room he's in is filled with these jars that have various organs and fetuses in. These are the things that he's collected from cleanup scenes, and he gets the dead man's eye out and puts it in another jar before we meet his girlfriend Betty, who helps him put a heart in another jar. There's a lullaby-esque soundtrack over this, and I like the analogy of the scene, which I feel is showing the contrast between these well-kept residential areas and the dark and horrific things that often happen behind closed doors. Betty is then bathing with sunglasses on, and the bath has blood mixed in with it. Rob is watching TV and drinking a beer, and a person on the TV is talking about desensitisation and fear. He's talking about how people are becoming desensitised to violence through the media, and the term video nasty even gets a shout out. They continue to talk about shock therapy and exposure therapy. This is one of the central themes that runs through Necromantic. We then get documentary style footage of a man killing a rabbit. This is the first part of the film that made me feel uneasy, as I'm pretty sure it's genuine footage. We then see the butcher start to skin the rabbit, and this is overcut with Rob performing an autopsy and removing body parts from a corpse all followed by this surreal, loud droning noise. I think they're continuing the desensitisation theme, trying to draw a parallel between the skinning of an animal and an autopsy, both becoming a routine and by-the-numbers procedure that has no regard for the life that was there. The next day, we're in a blonde man's back garden. 
He's smoking a dart and drinking a beer and playing with a gun. Another dude is collecting apples from a tree. Blondie starts to aim the gun for a bird and shoots the apple collector in the neck by accident, killing him. Blondie then wheelbarrows his body away. Back at the JSA, Bruno and his team get the call about a body being found and go to clean it up. They find the body of the apple collector, which we'll just refer to as Mr. Corpse from now on. And Mr. Corpse is already in the advanced stages of decomposition. It's skeletal in places and has one eye that remains and has that old school green composition colour to it. Bruno advises Rob to get rid of Mr. Corpse, however Rob has better ideas. Rob then goes home and summons Betty, showing her a black bag that excites both of them. As they rip the bag open, they both lovingly embrace Mr. Corpse, and we see this gross slime on his body and on their hands. They then fashion a piece of pipe for Mr. Corpse out of what looks like a chair leg, stick a condom on it and have a threesome. I'm pleased that they're practicing safe sex regardless. The threesome is gross. It's shot almost like softcore porn, but the worst moment for me is when Rob takes out the eye and erotically sucks on it. Parts of the threesome are filmed with heavy silhouettes, and there's this slow piano piece playing whilst the action happens. And this is about halfway through the film at this point. After the threesome, Rob fries up some massive steaks and the couple have breakfast, whilst Mr. Corpse is hanging from the wall with some plates underneath his feet to collect blood and various runoff. Back at the JSA, there's a dirty smell coming from Rob's locker. And when Rob arrives, it's clear he's left his overalls in the locker all weekend without washing them. Back at home, Betty is in bed with Mr. Corpse, spooning him and reading him a love story. She then makes Mr. Corpse perform oral sex on her. Joe takes Bruno's advice and fires Rob. Rob goes home, deflated after being fired, and tells Betty, but she ends up berating him for being a wimp and not standing up for himself. She then sarcastically asks if she should be the one to go and secure dead bodies and get a job. She tells Rob that if she meets a guy with money, she'll leave him. I take it as a comment on masculinity at the time, and the idea that if a man isn't working, then he isn't worth anything. It's the next day, and Rob brings back a cat to the apartment, however finds a note saying Betty's left. She doesn't want to waste the best years of her life with him, and as one final present, she's taken Mr. Corpse with her. Rob then lets the cat out to play, and feeds it one of the organs from a jar, before putting it in a black bag and swinging it against the walls. It's a pretty rough scene. Rob is then in the bath. He's under the water and it looks like he's drowning himself. There's a cat on the shower rail with a knife in its stomach. Rob then gets up and starts to gut the cat and wash himself in the organs. They kind of do it as slightly erotic. It's a really weird scene. We cut to Rob, who is apparently now freshly bathed, and he goes to a late night movie. He gets a beer and goes to watch a slasher film. Things get slightly meta here as you watch a movie inside a movie. It's a standard exploitation slasher slash rape film. And Rob and the rest of the audience are either bored with the woman being tortured or aroused by it. It's one of the stronger moments of the film providing some commentary yet again on desensitisation. But I also feel talking about some kind of sexual power fantasy for some people. And even the lengths that people have to go to for sexual pleasure. I mean look at pornography and how horrendously more depraved it's gotten over the years. Rob is ultimately too bored of the film. Maybe after fucking Mr. Corpse he's reached the ultimate point of desensitisation. He's cading some whiskey and then he takes some pills. He slips off into some dream where he's in a field with a woman in a white dress. She gives him a box containing a severed head and they start the world's weirdest rugby practice as they throw it around to each other. We then see Betty, now working the street corner and without Mr. Corpse, who we find out has just withered away and decayed away, rip Mr. Corpse again. She's working as a prostitute and she gets into a punter's car. As they go to a graveyard and start to have sets on a tombstone, the punter can't get it up, and Betty berates him. The punter then strangles Betty to death and has sex with her corpse on the grave. 
It's the necrophiliac circle of life, but I don't think we're going to hear Elton John sing about this one. The gravekeeper then turns up the next morning and catches the punter sleeping with Betty's body. The punter then decapitates the gravekeeper with his own shovel. It splatter levels of gore, but for some reason just feels slightly out of place in this film. We get shots of Rob in this dream world playing with a caterpillar, and then shots of him in reality as he nails a tiny Jesus onto a little makeshift cross. Rob then picks up a knife and inspects it, before lying on bed. He then stabs himself in the stomach and we see he's got a raging boner. It's a prosthetic pipe and it's kind of weird to see. As he keeps stabbing himself, he blows his load everywhere multiple times, before finally coming blood and eventually dying. Whilst this is happening, we get footage of the rabbit being skinned in reverse, but by this point my brain was too confused to try and figure out the symbolism behind this. As we end on Rob's grave, the camera starts to slowly pan out before a shovel hits into it, and a pair of high heels stomps the shovel into the grave. What goes around comes around, I guess. Necromantic clocks in at an hour and 14 minutes, so it's not a long film, and features little to no budget and has this almost home movie feeling to it. I would estimate there's anywhere between 50 to 70 lines of dialogue throughout the film, if I was being generous, and most of the film takes place to a pretty artsy soundtrack. Lots of piano and almost orchestral music pieces. When I watched the film, I expected a low-budget B-movie, almost in line with something like Microwave Massacre or Street Trash, as opposed to what we got, a film with much more social commentary and a borderline art house film. Now moving on to what I did like about the film. The idea that these actions are taking place behind closed doors in a nondescript neighbourhood is a fear that I think most people are subconsciously thinking of. Rob and Betty remind me of people like Joseph Fritzl, these monsters who commit horrendous acts behind closed doors, but are known in the community and don't look like the monsters that they are. The scene in the cinema is a personal highlight as well. How often do we hear about the desensitisation of people because of violent videos or games? And seeing this reflected on the screen was pretty cool to see. It felt a little bit more subtle than I've seen in other films. I also really appreciated the ending. It's sick and it's twisted, but I kind of like the idea that the cycle just continues despite Rob's death. And it's not just Rob and Betty who are presenting as normal whilst they commit these heinous acts. Whilst I found the rabbit being killed and skinned really uncomfortable, I like the analogy, and I don't think it's a bad thing to be made uncomfortable at times. Though, I wish a rabbit wasn't killed for that, obviously. There's definitely moments that I didn't like, or that I felt were just an attempt to shock or were just filler for the sake of it. Rob's dream sequence seems like it's been taken from pretentious films 101, and I kind of struggle to see its relevancy to the story. And when it's so low budget and not actually shot too well, these dream scenes just seem like filler. The film is also really thin on actual plot, and apart from those scenes that I mentioned, most of the scenes just seem like they're shot more for shock value than trying to tell a coherent or even entertaining story. Necromantic did go on to have a sequel, which I've heard actually expands on these things a bit, but I'm going to need a little time off to cleanse my palate before I jump into the sequel. Necromantic is definitely a boundary-pushing film. I don't think it's a film that has any tension or atmosphere to it, but there's something about it which is good. There's some decent social commentary, and as the disclaimer said in the opening, boundary-pushing films are cinematically and culturally important. It's hard to imagine a Serbian film or Martyrs without films such as Necromantic paving the way. I mean, a Serbian film even ends similarly to Necromantic. For those who wish to delve into extreme horror, I'd recommend Necromantic. It's not exactly great filmmaking, but it'll make you uncomfortable. As always, I put the film that I was discussing on Twitter to see what people thought of the film. Katie from Horror Friendly Podcast just put a gif of a woman saying, Oh Jesus, and J.M. Brandt said it was one of the few films that made him want to shower after watching it. And I agree with both statements. 
I also tried to eat my tea after, which was a bit of a chore. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, then please hit the subscribe button and please leave us a lovely review. You can find us on TikTok, Instagram and Twitter at CMTH Podcast. Until next week, goodbye.